This is episode 287 of the e-commerce coffee break podcast. Today, Brian Massey, founder of conversionsciences.com, joins me on the show and we talk about how to make changes and tweaks to your online store and understand their impact on sales. So let's dive right into it. This is the e-commerce coffee break. A top-rated Shopify growth podcast dedicated to Shopify merchants and business owners looking to grow their online stores. Learn how to survive in the fast-changing e-commerce world with your host, Klaus Lauter, and get marketing advice you can't find on Google. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to the Hello, show. Hello, welcome to another episode of the e-commerce coffee break podcast. Today, we want to talk about a topic that a lot of people might find boring, but actually it's not and is really important for anyone out there who's running a business. We're going to talk about conversion rate optimization. And we want to talk about swings and little tweaks that get the balance right in your e-commerce business. So with me on the show, I have Brian Massey. He's the founder of Conversion Sciences and author of the book, Your Customer Creation Equity. His rare combination of interests and experience developed over 30 years as a computer programmer, entrepreneur, corporate marketer, international speaker, and writer will help us here in this conversation. And Ryan has worked with hundreds of companies to improve their online business. He's a sought-after speaker presenting at IBM Inbound LeedsCon Conversion Marketing World and many other events. He has written for online publications, including ClickSet, Search Engine Lead, and Marketing Land. Brian is the editor of the Conversion Scientists blog and also a fellow podcaster at the Intended Consequences podcast. So let's welcome him to the show. We have a lot to cover. Hi, Brian. How are you today? I am doing great. Brian, tell me a little bit how, what got you started in the world of e-commerce. Well, so I was trained as a computer programmer. I got involved in sales early after graduating from college, I was selling semiconductors, so highly technical product, rose to my highest level of incompetence in, in that role, and found myself back in the programming world for a startup. That ended, and the director of engineering and I started our own company in the 90s doing software. The dot-com bus took out our customers, so we stopped running that company, and I worked as a, a marketing person for several tech startups in the early 2000s. And when I realized that I wanted to go back and do something on my own, I couldn't think of what else to do as a computer programmer, sales, marketing entrepreneur, other than being a conversion scientist. So Esmerg Brothers introduced the concept to me in 2006, and I hung a shingle and put on a lab coat and said, all right, conversion sciences is what we're going to be doing. And we've been doing that ever since. Mm-hmm. Now, it's really a science. There's a lot of things involved, technology, psychology, speed of your website, and so on and so forth. Now, what are the key factors that actually are the most important ones when we're talking about conversion rate optimization and optimizing a business, a website? When we're looking at assembling ideas for what might improve a website, they fall into really five major buckets. So number one, the messaging value proposition needs to be very clear. And I think a lot of e-commerce companies miss this. They rightfully so can lead with the products, but don't give the visitor um, an understanding of what their particular value proposition. Are they the cheapest? Do they have the biggest inventory? Do they have high quality? Or do they have unique products that can't be gotten anywhere? And so messaging and value proposition is really important. And in the e-commerce world, that flows obviously to the product pages and the product descriptions. The second bucket that we look at is credibility and authority. So what are you doing to indicate that 
you are um, qualified to sell these particular products. And this can include anything from apparel to industrial equipment, all of which is obviously sold online these days. The next bucket is the layout of the page. So the job of the designer, especially in an e-commerce world, is to get the visitor's eyes to the important parts of a page. It could be a product page, it can be a landing page, it can be the home page, so that they get what your value proposition is, why you're unique, why I should keep looking, and then where I should go to begin to find the sorts of things I'm looking for. The other two are social proof. So in the e-commerce world, testimonials, ratings and reviews, very, very important, um, especially in the consumer space. And then security. So can I trust you to take my credit card and keep it safe? And even the biggest retailers have proven uh, that that's difficult to do. So those are the primary buckets that we want to make sure that we have ideas in or that we're looking at the data in in order to figure out how we make a website better. Mm -hmm. Let me play a little bit of devil's advocate. I'm a corporate marketeer. I have my storefront on Shopify. I just bought either a very shiny, fancy new $400 template a theme, or I just spent a couple of thousands with a web agency building me a nice storefront. So I assume everything is right when it comes to conversion rate optimization, or is it not? So it's a great starting point. E-commerce companies have to walk this line between familiarity and novelty. So if you come up with an e-commerce metaphor that's completely different from our typical add to cart or add to bag and then checkout process, then you begin to require your customers to learn a new interface to do what they've been doing. However, if you are stock and look so much like everybody else, and Shopify is a great example, it's both training online shoppers, you know, what that cart looks like because so many people are on Shopify. Um, but it makes it difficult for you to differentiate. If they're shopping around, they forget, uh, where was that other place that I went to and saw that thing? So it's really important to add some hooks to that. And as you might suspect, the Shopify cart is well-tested and well-tried, but they miss a lot of really important things. Let's say you have interesting products or differentiated products in your marketplace, and the person goes through the checkout process you tend to drop all of that brand stuff. You might put a logo on the checkout process when you're asking for name, contact information, shipping address, credit card, and then the final process. We have found that it is really important to keep those brand signals in the checkout process. So taking some of the white space that inevitably exists in one of the columns, typically, at, for instance, Shopify, there's this blank space below the list of products in case the products get long, but reinforcing like what your what your warranty is, what your guarantee is, what your return policy is, and the things that remind them why they bought that particular product. So one of the first things we do in optimizing a card is saying, how can we bring that brand personality into the checkout process? Because as soon as someone decides to buy your product, the first thing they do is look for a way to delay that decision. So we want to reinforce that. From the scientific side, what's your approach? Where do you start working? We were talking about the card, the checkout process. Are you starting from what is closest to the first visit or are you starting from the end? What's the closest to the money? What's your approach there? Yeah, so the data really tells us where we're going to start. And we can begin working with what we call the flow, which is all the pages that funnel people into that add to cart and, and checkout action. 
So if the data is showing that the you know add to cart rate is very low, then we might start there and looking at the, the landing pages. And you know, for people that are doing online advertising, the product pages are very often the landing pages. Uh, Google Shopping, for instance, will drive people there. However, if we find out that there is a high cart abandonment rate, so people have added things to the cart um, and maybe even started the checkout process but haven't finished that, that's telling us that, number one, there's probably a question that we haven't answered on the product pages that needs to be answered. And a lot of people will start the checkout process to get an idea of, okay, what is tax going to be? What shipping options do you have? So we can move those things earlier in the process. And ironically, we might see a lower add to cart rate but ultimately a higher uh, sideways conversion rate because people are getting the questions they're answered and, and that gives them momentum to get through the add to cart and checkout process. So it really depends on the data, as any good scientist should say. <laughs> Let's touch on the data. What kind of data do I need to have to really get started? Or put it the other way, when clients are coming to you, probably things are not working well, so they approach you. What kind of data are you looking in? And if not, how do you start the process to collect data? Yeah. So the scientific method requires us to do some research on the front end to develop our ideas and to research ideas to see which ones are most important. So we set up a what we call the digital laboratory. At the foundation of that is typically analytics. The most popular analytics right now is Google Analytics. There's been quite a bit of a shakeup in the analytics world since Google Analytics ended their last version of analytics. We also like to see how people are interacting with pages. So uh, we'll use what we call heat map software. And this tells us how far, for instance, people are scrolling on, uh, in general, how far people are scrolling on product pages. So we can see how much of the content they're seeing. There might be some important things that are at the bottom of the page that aren't getting reached. And so we might come up with the hypothesis of reorganizing the content to bring that to the top. It tells us where people are clicking and it also tracks their mouse moves. So it's uh, somewhat of a metaphor for where they're looking. And so we can see what parts of the page are getting attention and which aren't. A uh, more extreme version of this is online eye tracking where we actually can track the eyes of people that are um, tracking They're viewing the page, typically from, from panels. Beyond that, we want to make sure that the analyst doesn't have blind spots. We really do want to know, it's very common, for instance, on a product page to have tabs that have the description, the product specifications, uh, videos, perhaps. We want to know if people are clicking on those to see if they're interested, if large groups of them are interested in some of those other um, tabs. So we want to make sure that those sorts of events are instrumented. And then, of course, an A-B testing tool, which allows us to collect the best data that we can. We end up with a lot of ideas. We do research to figure out which ones just need to be fixed, which ones aren't an issue. Um, and those that remain are candidates for taking to an A-B test, where we change something, we show half the visitors one, the other half the visitors the other, and we see which generates the most, uh, the most sales and the most revenue. Hey Klaus here, just a quick one. If you like the content of this episode, subscribe to the weekly newsletter at newsletter.ecommercecoffeebreak.com. I score and curate 50 news sources so you don't have to, saving you hours of research. Grow your revenue with e-commerce news, marketing strategies, tools, podcast interviews and more, all in a quick three-minute read. So head over to newsletter.ecommercecoffeebreak.com to subscribe. As said, 100% free. Also, you will find the link in the show notes. And now back to the show. Mm -hmm. 
Can you give me some example? You don't need to call um, the name the brand, but just an example from projects they have been through and what kind of results came out of it. We worked with B2B e-commerce as well as B2C e-commerce, and it is everything from filters for your air conditioning and people who build guitars and sell guitars. They're, they're looking for parts and kits. Um, I mentioned both of these because they have a very strong repeat purchase portion of it. You know, you need a new filter every month or every three months, depending on how diligent you are in taking care of your HVAC. And, and being in Texas, we want to make sure that AC is running. So we want to replace those every month. But that retention, and it's, it's, I think it really speaks again to that novelty versus familiarity. There are subscription models for, for both of these business. One is free, just give us your name and email address, and we'll send you the, the filters as you need them. And the other is a yearly fee that requires you to sign up and you get discounts and you get special offers and free shipping and things like that. So understanding when the best time is to introduce these loyalty programs is really very important. Beyond that, we worked with apparel companies and you had mentioned tweaks at the outset. And I think the idea set is really a combination of tweaks, sometimes just reiterating like your fit guarantee on the product page next to the, the price or next to the add to cart button can have a significant lift. You know, if you're going to get 11% lift in your conversions, that's pretty good money for a relatively small text change. Uh, some of our e-commerce clients favor phone calls, especially uh, in more of the industrial world where some high-priced items really need to be done with a, a phone call and an invoice. And so that creates some interesting alternatives for how we present those sorts of options and, and optimize for them. We really have to understand the value of those two things because increasing phone calls might increase online transactions. And for cheap products, we want to keep it online. And for the more expensive ones, we want a phone call. You mentioned in the beginning that the process of a lot of websites sort of standardized and one side looks like the other. And now with phone calls, for instance, you need to think a little bit out of the box. Are there any kind of crazy ideas um, that you can bring in to increase conversion rates? There are some, and I think a good one that illustrates that is, this is more for some of the higher end, some of the more considered purchase products, is requiring an email address to see pricing. Um, this can be done in a lead generation environment like a, a BB SaaS or something like that. And it, it illustrates some of the trade-offs that you get. So uh, people who are somewhat interested and want to just know if they even have the budget for the product you're selling will want to see those things. That doesn't make them a particularly good lead. So you end up with a great deal of low-quality leads. And so you have to really up your game. And I think this is a really important addition to the, you know, the best practices is the e-commerce companies that we've worked that, with that are doing well have their email game down. They understand how frequently they should be selling. And most of the businesses we see are afraid to send frequently, for instance, daily. We generally find, as much as we'd love to think that education is a great way to do things, promotional emails seem to generate the most revenue. But for many businesses, the combination of a, a couple of informational emails, especially after they've just purchased Helping them use the product successfully combined with promotional emails works. So I think your question was specifically around phone calls. And on the mobile side of things, the click to call, since we have a 
phone app installed on most of our phones uh, are able to click and call. An important part of the digital lab is having a phone tracking so that we can not only see who's calling, how long those calls are, what part of the site they were on, but we can do A-B testing where um, version of the control gets a certain phone number, the variation gets a different phone number, and we can see which of those variations is generating the most phone calls specifically. There's some technology involved in making all of that work, but it's an absolute must if phone calls are important. I think that's a, that's a great idea. I've never heard that um, doing A/B testing with different phone numbers, or basically depending where it goes, and that shows that conversion rate optimization is not only on-site; it is the whole funnel. It goes far further than just changing the color of a button. As a small and medium enterprise, and we have a lot of solopreneurs and, and, and smaller businesses um, as listeners on the show, are there any tips or any ideas that you can give that they basically can start trying to put into their store today? Those businesses that have you know, a culture of experimentation are going to begin to demand the right tools that you want. For everyone, it's gonna be a little bit different. But I think that's the first thing is adding A-B testing to your software, to your digital lab. Most businesses have analytics, although there, there are a number of blind spots there. And also using user panels to narrow your ideas. Because the, the problem is that, especially for smaller e-commerce sites, is you, you don't have the transactions necessary to do a lot of A-B testing. So user testing services and usability testing services bring panels of people who will look at your creative and answer questions about it. This really allows you to narrow down your decisions and see where you're confusing people with your layouts and with the, the information that you're giving and um, where your designs are actually improving things. So getting really curious about the data that you can reach, because it's not expensive, it doesn't take a lot of expertise really to understand, and having uh, one or more people dedicated to spending a portion of their time continually looking at the data and figuring out what's working and what's not working, I think is the most important thing. And as they begin to ask questions, they can look at our blog and see how we answer some of those questions. The other thing that I think is important, and again, going back to this novelty versus familiarity, is we tend to play it safe. We tend to get careful and just do what everybody else is doing. I think if you can use experimentation to get a little crazier with your ideas, maybe take some chances from a product standpoint. I've noticed that um, certain brands out there recently came across a brand called Bird Dogs, and they sell pants with a unique inner liner so you don't have to wear underwear. That's their thing. They do a very good job of making that front and center. But they also have these very whimsical names for their products. Each color gets a different whimsical name, and their advertising is risky. And They wouldn't be able to do these sorts of things without looking at the data and understanding what's going on. I've seen businesses like this mature and find different markets for what they're doing, especially when the pandemic hit. They get a little bit more familiar, but they've already built this audience of very uh, loyal folks that come back and spread the word. Tell me about conversion sciences. Who's your perfect customer? What kind of companies do you work with? Our perfect customer is a uh, mid-market company. So we don't do a lot of work with enterprises. We're competitive. We like to win. That implies a certain velocity of getting through these ideas. 
And we love mid-market companies, anywhere from $2 million in revenue up to $250 million in revenue because we're generally dealing with folks that are close to the top. They're incentivized to get things done. Culture change comes more easily. There aren't the silos that you get with enterprise. More than half of our book is e-commerce. We also do business-to-consumer lead generation, B2B SaaS, uh, and B2C SaaS. Less of the B2B considered purchase companies. So in the the world of conversion optimization, we're kind of in the middle of the market, both in terms of who we deal with and uh, also our pricing. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the onboarding process. Um, what do I need to do on kind of homework before I approach you? What are the steps with the onboarding and how long does this whole process work or take? The first question is what flavor of CRO are you going to be using? So is it going to be full on, full team, maybe testing where we come in and we do everything from design, development, ideation, basically doing everything. You're still paying attention to your business and doing the things you do in a day out, day in, day out. And we're answering questions about your business and helping you understand your customers. For smaller businesses, We may focus more on redesigns, rebranding, and using user testing, usability testing, and the analytics that we have to understand what changes are making things work. You can make a change on your website, and this is something you can do in analytics. Change something on your website, you don't have enough traffic to do a formal A-B test, which isolates you know, the time variation. But you can do a before and after analysis that looks very much like an A-B test analysis and get a good idea of what changes to your site are improving things and which ones aren't. And that's just understanding the statistics a little bit. Uh, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a PhD or anything like that, but that allows you to start using experimental tools in the current process where you're trying things. And most, most e-commerce companies are doing that. They're trying things. Should we be launching this new product? How should we be launching it? Let's try some things, but going ahead and doing the analysis to make sure that that change was what your visitors really wanted. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a usual marketer problem that you're willing to do changes. But when it comes to the going into the KPIs and the numbers to reporting the stats, that's a bit of an afterthought because that's not really what you want to do in life. Yeah. And it can be very humbling. Oh, I know that this is going to work. This is just objectively better. And then you launch it and do the analysis or do an A-B test. And our most beloved and most intelligent and beautiful redesigns have proven to be, oh, this is not improving things. So the key is always be able to go back. Cool. Brian, before we come to the end of the coffee break today, is there anything that you want to share with our listeners that we haven't covered yet? You can't run an e-commerce company without data. And I'm talking about understanding your visitors more at a level than those sorts of things you're getting from your Shopify dashboard. So I think that Just as if you were running a brick and mortar store, you would want to walk around and see how the customers are doing and listen to how your employees are talking to them. That begins to inform changes that you're seeing in revenue, revenue per visitor, average order values, things like that, that you're really trying to track, which of our high profit items are selling, things like that. Analytics, the heat map reports, they really allow you to kind of walk around your digital store and begin to understand what the visitors need and, and where you're putting unnecessary barriers in the way. So I think this set of skills is absolutely necessary for anyone who wants to really grow their e-commerce business. 
Mm -hmm. No, I would totally agree. Most companies do just not have the skills in-house, and then it's good to approach an expert on that one. Where can people find out more about Convergence Sciences? Our website is conversionsciences.com. We have an active blog sharing all of the things that we're learning. We've always used teaching as our primary marketing strategy, doing things like we're doing here today and letting people listen into our uh, water cooler conversation. So you'll see what we're learning there and begin to understand what the, some of the moving pieces of putting together an experimental data-driven culture looks like. Mm -hmm. I would recommend to our listeners to sign up for your newsletter. I'm a long-term subscriber of your newsletter, and that's the one that I always read when it comes to conversion or rate optimization. Brian, thanks so much for your time today. I will put the links in the show notes, then you will be just one click away and a lot of people reach out to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hey, Klaus here. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the e-commerce coffee break podcast. Before you go, I'd like to ask two things from you. First, please help me with the algorithm so I can bring more impactful guests on the show. It will make it also easier for others to discover the podcast. Simply like, comment and subscribe in the app you're using to listen to the podcast and even better if you could leave a rating. Thanks again and I'll catch you in the next episode. Have a good one.